Amen. Uh, we read this morning in our, our, for our scripture reading our text of uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 20. And uh, it's what we're going to be uh, studying uh, this morning and, and possibly next week as well. But as we talked about last week, this is kind of the climax to the Sermon on the Mount. We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount for a couple months now, and uh, we've seen really what Jesus has brought us to, and it kind of focuses narrowly down to uh, forcing us into a decision. And in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, we see the decision that Jesus is pressing us to. He says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who uh, go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. So the Lord is extending an invitation. He's done all this teaching on various subjects up until this point, and now he's saying, now that I've shared all this stuff with you, you have to make a decision. What are you going to do? You stand at the crossroads of life, and here is where the decision is made. Uh, But he extends that invitation, and he calls for a uh, decision. Uh, it's interesting, you know, have you ever got an invitation to something that's maybe a ball or maybe a special event or something? I remember when my nephew invited me up, he sent me an invitation to his change of command. He was taking over command of a Navy sub, and that was a big deal. And, uh, you know, we, we got to go to that, but we had an invitation. And it's, it's always fun and it's always nice to get those invitations that just kind of come out of the blue. Well, here the Lord is extending an invitation. And it's not uncommon in the Bible for him to do this. You see it throughout uh, the the New Testament. You see the loving heart of Jesus Christ reaching out to man um, to enter into the right path, not the wrong path, the narrow path, not the wide, the broad path. Um, He wants men to forsake their sin and their self-will, and he wants them to come to him repentantly because he's the only true source of righteousness. We have no righteousness of our own, the Bible says. And so in Matthew chapter 7, verse 14, he cried, Repent, for the kingdom uh, of heaven is at hand. Okay? You remember that. In other words, turn around and go the other way, is what he was saying. Uh, In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he recognizes the burdens of the men um, and their sinfulness in this world. And it's impossible for religion to take care of that. And in 11.28, Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that are uh, labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Okay? In John 7, he says, If there's any man who thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. In verse 37. In verse uh, John 6.35, he says, I am the bread of life. In John 10.11, he says, I am the good shepherd. In in John 14.6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in John 11.25, he says, I am the resurrection. Jesus repeatedly offered an invitation for men, women, children to come to him for salvation. We see that throughout the New Testament. We also see it in the Old Testament. This isn't just a New Testament thing, the idea of of the Lord issuing an invitation. In the book of Isaiah, we see in chapter 1... Verses 18 to 19, here's what the Lord says. He says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they be red like crimson, they shall be as as wool, if you're willing and obedient. God has always wanted to wash away the sins of men. But men, first of all, have to come to a point in their lives where they recognize the need to be washed. 
We've all probably run into people who haven't taken a bath in a while. And we just want to go, what are you thinking? Clean up. You'd smell so much nicer. You'd seem, be so much pleasant to be around. But they don't, even, they don't even recognize sometimes that they need a bath. See, the Lord is issuing an invitation. He wants men to recognize their need for a Savior. You have to have a need before you'll seek out an answer. So many times when we share the gospel with people, we just throw the gospel at them and they're looking at us like, I don't have any needs in my life. Because they don't realize that their sin is dishonoring to God. It grieves the heart of God. So they think, hey, I'm just going to live my life the way I live it and, and so be it. A person's sins will never be as white as snow or wool until he realizes his sinfulness. To, to recognize the work of Christ on the cross, you first have to understand, well, yeah, that's something I need. Or it's just another religious you know, event in history. It doesn't mean anything to you personally. Isaiah 55, verse 1, says, Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and drink milk without money and without price. In other words, when you recognize that you have a need, in other words, you have the need of your sins to be cleansed, and you recognize you don't have the resources to do it. <coughs> he says, come without money, without price. See, salvation is a free gift. It's offered to us by the work of Christ through grace. It's not a work of our own. We have nothing to offer God. Do you understand that? There's nothing good in us. We come strictly to God on the merits of His good and gracious gift in Christ. But this invitation to come appears both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. In, in Revelation chapter uh, 22, verse 17, John wrote this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit kind of the climax of the whole Bible. He says, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let us, let him that hears say, Come. And let him that thirsts come. And whoever will, let him take the water of life freely. This invitation appears throughout the Bible. And the invitation is simply this. Enter the narrow gate. We talked about this last week. Be converted. Be transformed. Come unto me, Christ says. If you thirst, come. You don't need money. It's Okay. If your sins are as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. And the Spirit said to the bride, come. See, the loving heart of our God constantly, constantly beats with compassion towards us in our sins. And He desires us to be saved, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.9. In Jeremiah, we read that God shed His tears because men turned their backs on Him in Jeremiah 3.21. In Matthew 23, 37, Jesus looked out over the city of Jerusalem and it says that he wept because the people would not come to him. The heart of God cries out to a sinful man, come to me, I have the answer. But you also have to understand that the Lord's compassion has some wrath in it. It has some wrath. God is not just all love. You hear this. Well, God is love. In fact, if you don't listen to God's call and you don't come to Him the way He's prescribed, 
then you're on the broad way. And the broad way, the Bible said, we looked at this last week, leads to damnation, leads to hell. His invitation, the Lord is saying, love calls, but you know what? There's judgment waiting if you don't. Love calls, but the time is coming, beloved, when love is set aside and judgment is imminent. See, the Lord Jesus Christ came as a babe, as a Savior. The next time He comes to this earth, it will not be as a Savior. It will be as a judge. And if you haven't made things right with Him by then, there's no going back. You will be judged in your sins. So we're to come to Him on the narrow way. He issues that invitation over and over. And every man, every woman stands at that crossroads in life. And one, one, one way is a narrow way, and above it it says this way to heaven. The other way is a broad way, and above it it says this way to heaven. But one leads to life, one leads to death. One leads to, to uh, life everlasting, one leads to damnation. But both ways say they point to heaven. One is wrong, one is right. That's why we're called to make a choice. And the narrow way is the religion of, you might call, divine accomplishment. It's, it's what God does on our behalf because we, we come to the narrow way because we realize that we have no righteousness of our own. But the broad way is the, the way of human achievement, human righteousness. It's for those who think they're religious, who think that going to church and doing all these religious things somehow earns merit with God. You're going to choose one or the other. You're going to choose the righteousness that God gives us freely, or you're going to try to come up with your own righteousness, which is impossible. But you have to choose. You can't stand at the gate forever. And we talked about how it's not easy to go through the narrow gate. It's not an easy thing. We know that because in verse 14 of Matthew 7, it says, few are there that are, or be there that find it. Once you've found the narrow gate, it's hard to get through it. That may kind of cause a little dissonance in your ears because we hear the gospel constantly taught that, oh, it's just, you know, come on, come on, it's just easy to get saved. Well, that's not what Jesus taught. And once you find the narrow gate, he, he, he kind of lays out that you have to agonize to enter it. <coughs> you don't just stroll through. And one reason it's, it's difficult to enter the narrow gate is that while you stand there at the crossroads between the narrow gate and the broad gate, guess who's there? Our text this morning. False teachers, false prophets. And the false prophets are saying, come this way, come this way. This is the right way. And everybody's listening to them. They obscure the narrow gate. And like spiritual traffic cops, they wave people onto this broad way to destruction. That's what their job is. That's what they do. And that's why Jesus, in, in verses 13 to 14, follows his invitation with a warning. In verse 15, look at what he says. Our text this morning, beware of false prophets. Beware of them. They're there bidding you to come to the broad way. And you know what? They're very successful at it too. They're very successful at it. Because it says that many will go that way. 
Verse 22 says, many will go along the broad way. See, the unfortunate thing is these people that are going on the broad way think in their mind they're going to heaven. They think they're on the right path because all the false prophets are telling them, oh yeah, this is the way. In verse 22 there in our, a little further down the next paragraph in our text, says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Haven't we done many wonders in your name? These are obviously religious people. They even call, Jesus, they even call him Lord. <laughs> and what they're saying is we're religious. We have a right to enter into heaven with you. And Jesus says to them, you know what? I never knew you. I never, ever had a relationship with you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. See, many people will go on the wrong road because they're false prophets pushing them that way. And in this passage, Jesus is telling us, he's encouraging us, as you try to get through the narrow gate, beware that you're not misled. Beware you're not pushed over to the broad way. Basically, he, 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 he sums up his message here. He gives us a warning and he tells us to watch. The first two things he does. First, the warning in verse 15. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravening wolves, ravenous wolves. The Lord's very clear. It's obvious that he's talking about false teachers, false prophets. Well, what does the Bible say about these people? What does the Bible say about false prophets? They're frequently talked about in the Bible. There's warnings throughout the Old Testament. Some of them are listed there in your notes. In Deuteronomy 13, it tells us very clearly, if there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him, it says, and keep His commandments and obey His voice, and you shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. But the prophet or the dreamer of the dreams shall be put to death. That's what the text says. Deuteronomy 13, 1 to 5. Because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God, who has brought you out of the land of Egypt to redeem you from the house of bondage to, and to entice you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So shall you put away the evil from your midst. In other words, if you find a false prophet, kill him. <laughs> Pretty radical, I'd say. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 9 and 10 says, This is a rebellious people, lying children, children who uh, will not hear the law of the Lord, who say to the seers, Do not see, and the prophets, Do not prophesy to us right things, speak unto us smooth things. Prophecy deceits. See, Isaiah is pointing out that some of these prophets were false. They spoke deception. But there's people that always want to hear that. There's always a demand for false prophets. 
Because people don't want to hear the truth. It's hard for people to hear the truth. Jeremiah in chapters 5 through 23 repeatedly warns us of false prophets. And even in the New Testament, uh, Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, 11, he says, And many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. Notice that word, many. There's, there's a lot going on there. And, and, and God want, Jesus wants us to see that it's important that we understand that there's, this is not an uncommon thing. This is something that happens all the time. A little further down, the people will say, but we have prophesied in your name in, in Matthew uh, chapter 7. False prophets come to the same end as their followers do. They will claim the deeds were done in the Lord's name, but that claim won't stand. Matthew 24, 24 says, For there shall arise false Christs, in other words, pseudo-Christs, false prophets. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to be able to do great signs and wonders. Even if it were possible that they should deceive the elect, that's how convincing they're going to be. They're going to be people who try to present themselves as Christ. And the Bible calls them phonies, and he calls them liars. In Romans chapter 16, verses 17 to 18, Paul says, I beseech you, brethren, mark them who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. For they are such that serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own body. And by good words and fair speeches, they deceive the hearts of the innocent. That's what a false prophet does. He's all about deception. First Peter four one, or First Timothy four one says, "Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to the even doctrines of demons." Second Peter two one says, "There shall be false prophets among you, false teachers among you, who secretly shall bring in damnable heresies." In First John four one, we see John says that we should test the spirits to see whether they are of God. See, we live in a day and age today that everybody's got some truth. Everybody's got some truth. But the Bible warns us repeatedly about these false prophets. And you know what? They're going to be around as long as we're here. Because they're, they're from the hand of the enemy. And they'll be here until the second coming of Christ. There's four things I want us to look at this morning as we look at this subject of false prophets. First of all, the definition. What is a false prophet? Who are we dealing with in, in verse, seven, or verse 15 of Matthew 7? Well, I could just give you a definition of a false prophet, but first of all, I think we have to look at what a true prophet does. <clears throat> we have to understand what a true prophet is about first and foremost. That's how the even the Secret Service, you know, they don't go and study uh, fake money. They don't do that. They study the real thing. So when when the the you know printed money comes out and it's it's printed by somebody in their garage, they recognize it right away because they're so familiar with the real. Well, it's the same thing here. What's the purpose of a true prophet? Ever since back the fall in Genesis three, every person we have to understand has been hopelessly lost in their sin. Every person has turned their back on God. And has fled from him. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says in, in Romans 3.11 that no man seeks after God. Not one. Every man runs to hell as fast as he can. 
You have to understand, God picks certain people. He saved them. He redeemed them. And he uses them to draw man's heart back to God. Those people, those people who he, he handpicked out of that bunch were his prophets. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, a prophet was known for two things. First of all, he had a divine commission. He was divinely commissioned by God. You don't just wake up one day and say, I think I'll be a prophet today. That sounds like a cool job. It doesn't work that way. God has to tap you on the shoulder and say, you know what? I want you to be my prophet. You have to have a divine commission. But you also have to have a divine message. See, a prophet was somebody who was called by God, and he gave God's message. And God selected several men throughout history in the Old Testament for that strategic function. A true prophet was God's voice. You remember in Exodus 4, Moses argued with God about his speech problems. I can't talk, right? You don't want me to go do this? I I can't do it. But the Lord said, don't worry about it. Don't you worry about what you're going to say, Moses, because I'm going to put the words in your mouth. Because I'm going to be speaking through you. And prior to that, God had called Moses from the burning bush and commissioned him to become a prophet. The Lord chose Moses, a, Moses, a divine commission, and he also gave him the content of his message. He had a divine message. And so he fulfilled the role of a prophet. He was God's man, and he spoke God's message. And it seems that as soon as God assigned these prophets who were true to speak the voice of God, Satan looked at that situation and said, okay, I've got to come up with a plan. I know what I'll do. I'll come up with false prophets. Guys that look like these guys, but they're going to have my message, not God's message. And so you see the problem of false prophets throughout the Bible and the Old Testament. In Jeremiah, continually, he points to false prophets. In 14.14 of Jeremiah, he says, Then the Lord said unto me, The prophets prophesy lies in my names. I sent them not, neither have I commanded them, neither spoke unto them. In Jeremiah 5.31, he says, The prophets prophesy falsely, and my people love to have it so. See, the people accepted the false prophets because they, they told them what they wanted to hear. The Bible calls that a tickling of the ears. They like to have their ears tickled. And that's the way it's going to be. It's the way it is now. That's the way it's going to be in the future. In 2 Timothy 4.3, it says, Men will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. See, the false prophet is somebody who gets up and says what everybody wants to hear. But everything he says is nothing but lies. But do you feel good after he says it? Sure. Stop and think of some of the most, you know... uh, best-selling Christian books today. What are they? Nothing more than a bunch of what somebody wants to hear, to be honest. In Jeremiah 23, verses 14 to 16, points out this. He says, Also I have seen a horrible thing in the prophets of Jerusalem. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They also strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns back from his wickedness. All of them are like Sodom to me, the Lord says, and her inhabitants like Gomorrah. Verse 15 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with wormwood and make them drink the water of gall. 
For from the prophets of Jerusalem profaneness has gone out into all the land. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own, the word of God says, not from the mouth of the Lord. Basically, that's saying when a false prophet speaks, he makes men proud. He appeals to their egos. Describes them as being evil, fleshly, adulterous. Those who help the hands of evildoers. Finally, in Jeremiah 23, he says, I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. The prophet that has a dream, let him tell a dream. And he that has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What God is saying, I'm not going to silence all prophets. There are some good prophets. The prophets that do things in my name. That's what Jeremiah had to say. Zechariah basically has the same thing. Zechariah 11, he gives a a vivid picture of, of not a false prophet, but a false shepherd. And he says, I will raise up a shepherd in the land who shall not visit those who are cut off. Can you imagine a shepherd of a flock of sheep and one wanders off and the shepherd just goes, oh, well, <laughs> no big deal. And it goes on and it, it talks about how that those false shepherds, they don't care for the sheep. They want to eat the sheep. It says, but he shall eat the flesh of the fat and tear their claws in pieces. In other words, he wants to get every little morsel of meat off their bones. We have to be careful today. He's talking there about the Antichrist, who's this kind of prototype of all false prophets in Zechariah. And he cares nothing about the sheep, but he masquerades as if he were were Christ himself. But he tears the, the flock apart. See, in Jesus' day, you have to understand, the scribes and the Pharisees kind of fit the bill here for the false shepherds. That's who he said. They were the ones who crucified Jesus because he basically pulled off their masks and showed everybody who they were for real. They paraded around like they were these godly people, but really they were very self-serving. We've seen that in the last several weeks as we've gone through text after text that Jesus compared his way with the way of, of manly's, manly religion, man's religion of, of self-pride you know, uh, pride and, and, and ego and everything else. He pointed that out to us clearly. In the New Testament, we see false prophets called a lot of different things, and they're listed there, false brethren, false apostles, false teachers, false speakers, false Christ. That word false means uh, a sham or, or, or uh, phony. It's not real. And despite the fact that these false prophets are liars, they always have an audience. Do you ever wonder about that? And Jesus said in 845, because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. See, today the problem is people don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to hear the truth because it doesn't feed their ego. The people Jesus spoke to couldn't hear the truth because they listened to all the lies that were being told. And in John 844, he says the way that the reason you can't listen to me is because you're of, of your father, the devil. He is a liar and the father of lies. 
So that's who a, a false prophet is. Well, along with the, the, the definition of a false prophet, we also have to be aware that there's a real danger here. There's a real danger. Uh, Matthew 7, 15 not only says to beware of false prophets, it tells us why we're to watch out for them. And the reason is, is because they're dangerous. That word there, beware, you know, where do you see that word a lot? You know, if you're if you ever go up to a big power plant and and you see this caged in, you know, all these wires and everything, usually somewhere along the fence there's a big sign that says beware. High electrical voltage or whatever. Or if you go to uh, certain parts of our country and you're able to hike up along the cliffs or whatever and you get out toward the toward the toward the edge of a the Grand Canyon or whatever, there's usually a sign, be careful, beware. Falling rock or whatever. We see that sign all over the place. And what we do when we see that sign, what do we do? We, we pause. We say, okay, what's going on here? Where am I at? Let's get my bearings. I don't want to take a misstep here. In the original language, it really means to hold your mind away from it. Hold your mind away from something. Don't ever expose your mind to the influence of false prophets. Don't pay attention to them. Because they have the capacity to pervert your mind and poison your soul. I mean, I've heard people say, well, you know, I listened to so-and-so, and I know that some of the stuff they say is not right. But, you know, they're so charming, or they make me feel good, or, you know, I like the stories, or whatever. They're so funny. You better be careful. Because the Bible says we should have nothing to do with that. Don't pay attention to them. I mean, to be honest, I, when I was studying this last week, God kind of convicted me because when all this stuff was going on in Lakeland, Florida, with, with uh, Todd Bentley or whatever his name was, <coughs> you know, I found myself late at night sometimes watching these crazy antics just to think, what's this guy going to do next? And I thought, you know what? I shouldn't expose myself to that stuff. That's not good. I mean, it's kind of entertaining, but it's, it's not going to help me spiritually. In 2 Peter 2.2, it tells us the result of their work. It says, many shall follow their pernicious ways. See, many people will take the broad way thinking that they're religious. But really, they're just, just playing follow the leader, and eventually they'll end up in a place called hell. Um, Peter calls false prophets uh, brute beasts. He calls them spots and blemishes. In, in verse 13, he calls them beguilers of unstable souls. He said they allure through the lust of the flesh. Over in the book of Jude in the New Testament, he calls them also brute beasts. He calls them spots or scabs is probably a better translation. They're dangerous and they're clever. They know what they're doing. And you have to be careful that you're not affected by them. Someone said it'd be better off to embrace a cobra or crawl in bed with a hungry lion. At least then you'd be affected only physically. See, but a false prophet has the way of getting into your mind and potentially even affecting you spiritually. Why are they so dangerous? Well, Matthew 7.15 says because inwardly they are ravening, ravenous wolves. They don't appear like wolves, but that's what they really are. The fact that false prophets are, are ravenous wolves appears also in the Old Testament in Ezekiel chapter 22, verses 27 to 28. 
you have to understand, back then, the primary enemy of a sheep in Palestine was the wolf. Because they, the wolves just roamed the hills. And, and you know, you would spot a flock and it would pick one out and just sneak up and, and snatch it. And it would tear it to shreds. Sheep basically were totally defenseless. That's why they needed a shepherd. Turn over to John 10 with me. John chapter 10. Because we see characteristics here in John chapter 10 of what a good shepherd is. He said they're always on the alert for wolves. A shepherd cares for his sheep. (coughs) He, He watches after them. And there's three characteristics, three characters here that deal with the flock. One of them is good and the other two are not so good. The first one is the shepherd. In verse 11 of John chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. That's what we want to follow. We want to follow the good shepherd. He's willing to give his life for the sheep. Well, he goes on in verse 12, 13. Look at what he says. But a hireling, this is the second character who deals with the flock, He who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and he flees. (laughs) That's the second character that deals with a flock. First of all, you have a shepherd. They're there to protect the flock. Then you have a hired laborer. Hey, it's only a job. You know, I'm not going to get my hands dirty here. I'm just here to collect a paycheck. The wolf comes, the hired Laborer looks at that situation and goes, nah, there's no way I'm dealing with this wolf. I'm out of here. They're not my sheep. I don't care. But when the things get tough, he, he takes to running. And then the third thing there in verse 12, it says, and the wolf, is the third character, catches the sheep and scatters them. See, the worst enemy of sheep are wolves. Hired laborers, they just run away. But wolves eat the sheep. And the role of the good shepherd is to protect his flock. A hired laborer would just abandon what was entrusted to him, but the false prophet actually would destroy the sheep. So the ravening wolves, the Bible says. That word ravenous or ravening literally means to snatch or to seize. I mean, can't you just picture a wolf kind of creeping up over the hillside and boom, before you know it, um, you know, it's on that flock, tearing one of those those uh, sheep, taking it away, snatching it away. I watched a uh, thing on one of the channels, that kind of crazy videos or whatever it was, and these people were over in India, I think, and they were on this big uh, elephant and they were on looking for this lion who had been terrorizing all these, uh, or Bengal tiger or whatever it was, terrorizing all these neighborhoods. And... The guy was up on the the, uh, big elephant. He had his gun and everything. And they're looking out over this field, and this grass is just blowing, you know, back and forth, and you don't see anything. And all of a sudden, they see this tiger way out. And they're looking at it, and and the video, I mean, before you know it, this tiger is jumping out of the grass, and he's on these people. Just amazing. That's kind of what a, a, kind of like a false teacher, they're kind of out there in the grass, you might see them now and then, but then all of a sudden, boom, they go in for the, the kill. They're very dangerous. 
Um, that's why we have to be wary of even being in the presence of one. That's why the Bible says, you know what, if someone comes to your door and they preach a different Christ, what do you do? You don't welcome him in your house. You know, that's very dangerous. And you, you can give him the gospel if you want. Go for it. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't spend a lot of time in that area because they're, they're deceived. They're, 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 they're serving a false Christ. God would have to transform their heart, break through all the error that they've been taught, to open their things to the, their heart to the things of God. But it's important, I think, that we, we reach out and we understand that, you know what, these, these people are out there, and they're there mainly to deceive us. Uh, don't think that false prophets are some good, well-meaning, misguided people. They're not. The Bible says they're devouring wolves. And they're basically trying to lead people to a place called hell. And some may be deceiving themselves. I don't know. But many of them know what they're doing. There are some of these guys on TV, beloved, that they've practiced their trade for years. There's one individual in particular, he used to tell us, his buddies in college, when he was going through through uh, college, he'd stand in front of the mirror and do his whole, you know, uh, speaking in tongues and all this money stuff. And, and they're like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm going to make a lot of money off this one day. And he's still on the air. I mean, it's crazy. Even after they're exposed, what do they do? They come back. <laughs> it's not even the Christian, you know, community exposing him. It's 2020 and Nightline and all these other people. They find out all the prayer requests that you send into them with all your money, thinking that somehow they're they're you know actually praying for them. While well, they take the money and they dump the prayer requests in a dumpster in the back alley, that's how much they care. You know, there's a danger there, and they know exactly what they're doing. You have to be careful. So you have the the definition, the danger. Also, there's a deception. It says here in verse 15 that they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are. Ravening, ravenous wolves. You know, I mean, obviously, if a wolf came at you, you would know. I would beware, be careful. Obviously, if, if the two paths said this way to heaven, this way to hell, it'd be kind of a no-brainer to make the choice. But see, Satan doesn't make it that easy. His, his role is to kind of try to emulate whatever God has come up with and then make it look the same, even though it, it's not. You have to understand the clothes of a of a false prophet here. Um, a true prophet, they, they had a certain garment that they would wear. Uh, in the case of John the Baptist in the New Testament, the prophet was known by what he wore. Elijah in the Old Testament, he wore a rough, hairy, burlap garment. Doesn't sound very comfortable. It wasn't. Um, John the Baptist, he... We, we know that he lived in the wilderness. It says that he ate locusts and wild honey, and he wore a rough camel hair coat. See, camel hair products today aren't the same as they used to be. But John the Baptist's garment was very uncomfortable. He wore the clothes of a prophet. And being a prophet is not always a comfortable thing to be, you might say. God's prophet had no other worldly goods, really. They, they just had what they, they needed basically on their back, even if that. And whenever someone wanted to pretend to be a prophet, 
he would take these clothes that a prophet, true prophet, would wear, and he would wear them. He would wear a rough, burlap kind of garment-looking thing. And everybody looked and said, well, that must be a prophet. Look at the way they're dressed. Zechariah 13.4 says that a false prophet will wear a rough garment to deceive. So there's a deception there. And they imitate the true shepherd's clothing. When Jesus said that a false prophet wore sheep's clothing, he wasn't talking about somebody who was, you know, put on a, uh, you know, a sheep head and, and little, you know, furry things and crawled around on his hands and knees. That's not what he's talking about. Remember when I was probably in, I think I was in high school, my brother-in-law, <coughs> and I thought we'd play a, a trick on my sister, Sue Ellen. And we kind of had this, uh, up in the, the woods, we had this kind of a, pasture kind of a thing and, and with the wooded area right next to it and I don't know where we got this thing but we had an old uh, uh, black bear skin complete with claws and head and everything and so he said this would be great you know he goes you get up there and you get under these bushes and you know you pretend that you're this this bear and I'll walk with your sister down the the path and we just you know scare the daylights out of her and we did and she was she totally freaked out i mean it, it was it was amazing you know to, to watch her reaction but she even though there was no bear there it was just a false skin that's kind of the idea here um you know that there's a deception going on but he's not talking about somebody like that, crawling around on his hands and feet with a, a sheepskin and a sheep's head over him. The mark of a shepherd was his wool cloak. They needed a, a, a warm cloak because of in Israel the, the evenings are cold, much like we have here. But um, So when Jesus spoke of false prophets in sheep's clothing, he was talking about people who dressed like shepherds. Sheep's clothing is another word for wool. And just as a false prophet would, would wear the clothes of a prophet, a false shepherd would wear the clothes of a true shepherd. Jesus wasn't talking about a sheep's disguise here. He's talking about a, a shepherd's disguise. And a false shepherd looks just like a real shepherd. But really, they're a wolf. They're really dangerous. And basically, there's there's different categories of, of false prophets. Um you know, you can break this down this way. There's the real obvious ones, the heretic, the people that say, you know what, I don't believe the Bible is true and, and you know, just you know, everybody else is crazy and, and whatever. That's just a heretic. They just outrightly do not believe that there's a God or that he's true or whatever. Then you have the, the apostate. The apostate is somebody who deny Christianity and they depart from it. Um, so you have the heretics and the apostates, and they're not too hard to spot. I mean, they're pretty obvious when you run into somebody that doesn't believe in God. They're pretty forthright in telling you, look, you know, don't go down the religion road with me because I don't even believe there is a God. Okay, they're very clear about that. And heretics and apostates are talked about in Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. He says, give not uh, that which is holy unto the dogs. In other words, when you, ha when you come across somebody who's a pure, you know, just heretic, you know, they're just out to mock God. I mean, I heard... Uh, I brought this up in our, our cell group on uh, our Grace Care group on Wednesday night. I heard that I think his name's Meyer or Bill Mayer, that guy Bill Maher. I heard him. I caught him on YouTube. I think he was on uh, that other crazy show with those ladies. But um, yeah, The View. He was on there, and he was just mocking Christ. He was mocking Christianity. He was mocking God because he has some movie coming out or whatever. And I'm thinking, man, there's a special place in hell for you, pal. You know, because you you, you don't get away with that. 
You know, and until he repents, I mean, I would not want to be him on judgment day. You know, you don't go up to him and say, you know, hey, I hear God has a wonderful plan for your life. Don't even waste your time. You know, it's, it's, that's, that's kind of throwing pearls before swine. All right, so you have the heretics and you have the apostates, but you also have a third group called the deceivers. And I think that's what Jesus is referring to here in verse 15 of Matthew 7. Deceivers wear the cloak of the shepherd. They talk about Jesus. They talk about the cross. They talk about God, the scriptures, the Bible, the church, the Holy Spirit. They mingle all that's true in Christianity, and they even appear to be evangelical at times. You see them on radio. You hear them on television. They speak from pulpits. They write books. They look like Christians. In every way. They're not as obvious as the heretics and the apostates, but they're just as dangerous. Titus 3.10 says that we are to rebuke heretics. Apostates are obvious because they have denied the faith, but deceivers are subtle. They're very subtle. See, the Lord isn't warning about heretics or apostates here in Matthew 7. He's warning about this third group called the deceivers. He's warning us about people who sound like Christians, who appear to teach the gospel. We shouldn't be surprised that there will be people like that. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says, Satan himself is transformed into what? An angel of light. He is hidden among them. Verse 15 tells us, therefore, it is of no great thing if, he, if his ministers also be transformed as, minister, as the ministers of righteousness. They're subtle deceivers. Jude 4 says there are certain men crept in unaware. There's people within the church today that we don't even have an idea what their agenda is. Because maybe they haven't let it out of the bag yet. But it's anything but build up the body of Christ. But you look around, they're everywhere. You can tell them by their words. False prophets are pleasant. They mingle with Christians. They talk Christianese. They do all that. It's not what false prophets say that gives them away. It's what they don't say. See, I've heard this so many times. People hear a teacher on TV. Well, you know, he said, you know, it's so good. You know, it's just, but what doesn't he say? You know, a lot of false prophets, they leave out words like sin and hell and judgment and, you know, things like that. Mourning and meekness and humility, what we've been learning throughout the, the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. They leave all that out. All they talk about is health, wealth, and prosperity. That's all that matters. Best-selling book, Your Best Life Now. It's a good example of that. Is there some good stuff in there? I'm sure there is. But it's a book written to make you feel good. Make you feel happy. I don't know about you, but my best life is not now. It's just not. That's, that's not even biblical. Our best life is ahead of us when we enter the kingdom. When we come into the, the kingdom of heaven and we stay with our Lord and Savior for eternity, that's when we're going to have our best life. Not now. Matter of fact, we're supposed to shun the things of this world. Just the opposite. You can not only tell them by their words, but you can also tell them by their ways. They, they appear to live right. Everything looks like it's in order. That's why people are surprised when 
all of a sudden this somebody with a you know multi-million people ministry you know wow you know they were caught cheating on their wife with their secretary and everybody goes wow you think that just happened like overnight no they've just been masquerading they've been hiding who they truly are one commentator said this when some false teachers of ruinous heresy are men of scrupulous conduct and pleasing general character and even appear devout, this may be morally ascribed to their early religious habits. They're just religious people. They've been raised in the church. False prophets even appear to walk the Christian walk. They may appear to be fine, but unfortunately on the inside they're vile. They suppress their depravity for the sake of their reputation. And sometimes when a, a, a person's sin is revealed, you know, a lot of these guys, they, you know, they take a break for a month or so and they're back on TV. Well, we have to be forgiving. And the false prophet continues in his sinfulness, in his ways of deception. And it's just a vicious circle. But these false prophets are all around us. And the Bible says we have to be aware of them. And we're not to be judgmental of everybody. We don't, you know, we don't have a corner on the truth here in this church and everybody else is wrong. I would never say that. There's a lot of things that we need to learn. Okay? We're, we, we have not arrived. But we have to be able to listen and discern and make judgments with what people say and what, with, what God's Word says. And sometimes they're just so obvious, but because of their personality or because of their funny jokes or whatever, they just kind of glide under the radar. We have to be like the Bereans who took the Word of God and, and studied it for themselves. Don't just come in here Sunday morning thinking that somehow I'm going to fulfill your spiritual needs. That's far from the truth. I can barely fulfill my own spiritual needs. If it wasn't for the grace of God. And so, you know, you, you need to be in His Word daily. And the more you become familiar with the truth, all of a sudden, when something someone says something erroneous, something that's, that's heretical, something that's not in Scripture, your ears perk up and you go, you know what, that's not right. Because the Word of God says this. Not because so-and-so says this or so-and-so says that. It's not a personality game here. But what's the Word of God? That's got to be our cornerstone. That has to be the foundation upon which we, we, we hold any standard to. So the false prophets are deceptive. You've got to be careful. The last thing is, look at the damnation that they'll face. In verse 22, they will attempt at the time of judgment to, to kind of converse with Jesus. And they say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? In other words, hey, weren't we preachers? Weren't we this? Weren't we that? These people were not people who received revelation from God they, they made up their own little story and people liked it the word prophesy means to speak before that's what it means that's why the gift of prophecy still exists today when you speak out the word of God you're, you're exercising your gift of prophecy it's not, has to, not doesn't always have to do with this uh, you know receiving special revelation of something that's going to happen tomorrow or whatever. That's how we think of it. But it basically just means to speak the word of God. To proclaim it. 
And some of them say that they receive revelations from God. They've prophesied in your name. But he says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. (coughs) And Christ will send them, (coughs) send the false prophets into everlasting hell, into everlasting damnation. And the interesting thing is they will not be alone alone because in verse 13 it says, many will be that go the way of the false prophets, the broad way. 2 Peter 2.2, as we read, says, many shall follow their pernicious ways. 2 Peter 2.1 says, there are false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who secretly bring in their destructive heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. They're not alone. They're going to follow. They're leading the pack, but everybody's going to follow them who follow uh, a false teacher, a false prophet. They won't be spared. They're going to face judgment. False prophets will be will, will utterly perish in their own corruption. Second Peter says. So the first word there in Matthew is beware, and 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 our word this morning we we have to walk out of this place with that in our hearts and our minds that you know what just because somebody's dressed nice and speaking nice and look like you know a little mama's boy whatever you know that doesn't mean that they're not dangerous it doesn't mean that they're not dangerous you have to be careful what do they say what do they teach what's their lifestyle i mean you have to take all this into consideration because it's, it's very important because it's crept so far into our churches today and we have this attitude, well, we can't speak out against that because that's judging and we're not to judge and we've talked about that earlier. So uh, we are to judge. We're to make the diff- call the judgment between error and truth. And the only way we can do that is if we base it on the Word of God. So be on the lookout for these and, and don't give them the time of day. Father, we thank you for your Word this morning. Lord, we, we pray that we would uh, be a church that lifts up you, that lifts up your word, that has a high view of you, Father. And, and Lord, I, I pray that we would not be gullible, um, that we would not be swayed by so much of Christianity today that is leaving the truth. They're not teaching the true gospel. They're teaching a, a sweetened form of the gospel that makes people feel good and and uh, lord we just we, we we just pray that we would be careful who we listen to and and uh, um, what we put into our hearts and into our minds lord these are not necessarily uh, bad people to be around i mean sometimes they're fun people to be around they're fun people to listen to they entertain us but lord we have to be careful what they're teaching and we have to understand that that's not something that would build us up spiritually, but it could potentially tear us down. And so, Father, we pray that you would give us guards over our hearts and our minds, that we would be careful concerning the false teachers and the false prophets we hear today. Father, we pray that you'd be with us as we approach our communion table. Lord, that you would just allow our hearts to be pure before you in Christ. Father, we practice an open communion time. In other words, this is open to whoever knows you as their Lord and Savior. And Lord, uh, if, if there's people here who do not know you this morning, who have never put their faith or trust in you, Lord, it's not too late. Lord, they could cry out to you even now. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I need um, 
the cleansing of my sin. And I know that it can't come any other way other than through Christ. You can cry out to Christ this morning and he'll save you. He'll transform you. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd lead us through our communion time and uh, just help us to reflect on your grace and your goodness to us. And, Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.